And so, in honor of his word, if you would stand and let's read this passage together. It's the story of a young, wealthy ruler. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then... Who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive Many times more in this life, that's a very interesting statement, and in the age to come, eternal life. Praise be to God. You may be seated. I say that's an interesting statement because when I became a Christian, however many years ago it was now, I, uh, I thought, you know, becoming a Christian up until I understood this verse was, okay, I'll be good for 80, 85 years, whatever the Lord gives me on earth, and then I'll have eternal life. So that's worth it, you know, 85 years, eternal life. You do the math, it works out pretty good for you. But you know, that text says right there, many more times in this time, he will not receive many, many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So there's something going on here that I am now experiencing because it's been long enough. And that is my life is working. My marriage is working. My family is working. God is doing something powerful in and through my life. And I'm experiencing that to be the gospel truth. And so, that is uh, part of it. But you know, it's interesting how uh, the rich, this rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, the best question ever, really. What do you, you got to do to inherit eternal life? I mean, who doesn't want to know the answer to that question? What do you got to do to inherit eternal life? And he says what it's interesting what he says he responds with the law jesus responds with the law of god from the ten commandments and he basically hits on five in the second part of the ten commandments and what is the what does this young ruler say he said i've kept all them from my youth 
But then he says, oh, but there's one. And it's actually, he missed the very first one. You can have no other gods before me. This man had made his money his God. And so he not only violated one of the commandments, he had violated the very first one. And really what Jesus was after was something even bigger than that. He was trying to say, it takes perfection. It takes perfection to get into heaven. Which, which of us is perfect? None of us. None of us are perfect. And that's really the message, and we're going to unfold that in greater detail in just a minute. I want to share with you an illustration. Um, and uh, When I was in high school, I played football, but I also wrestled. And actually, it's interesting, today I have in the, in the audience both my mom who I don't know has ever heard me teach uh, live. And then one of my high school wrestling buddies, who you know as Mike Mason. And uh, so he's a member here and a coach at the local high school. But uh, <clears throat> in high school, my senior year, we, uh, we went to wrestle in a Christmas tournament. And up to that point, I had not lost a match and uh, my previous coach the year before was coaching at another school. He went into a seating meeting where they seat the wrestlers. And he came out and my coach said, you got seated behind this other wrestler, which put me in a, in a worse place in the bracket to, uh, to wrestle that weekend. And I was really frustrated because I knew that I was better, or at least I thought I was better than his, his wrestler. And I said to my coach, why did, why did he get seated ahead of me? And he said, he coached both of you. And he said, that guy's better than you. Which, you know, you really like to hear that as a man. Um, <clears throat> so the tournament gets going. And we get to the semifinals. And guess who I'm wrestling? The guy that the other coach said was better than me. And guess who won? I did. I beat him. <clears throat> sure did. It was beautiful. Um, I just wanted to walk over to my old coach and go, try that on for size. Uh, <clears throat> how you like that? Well, I get to the finals, and when I'm sitting there waiting for the finals, this is one thing you got to understand, is during the tournament, there's lots of mats, and they keep score with a little flip card and one score is green and one score is red. And it's easy during the tournament to look over there and just see what the score is because they put an anklet on you. Yours is either red or green. And it matches what your score is on the, on the table. Well, in the finals, they take up all the other mats. They have one mat, which is kind of cool because you come out with this rocky music and you're kind of getting all jacked up and excited. And... <clears throat> But they, they take that scoring system away and they put it on the big Coca-Cola board in the gym. And so now uh, I, I still get it confused and this is part of the problem. I think green is home and red is away. Green is home and red is away. They put my anklet on. I'm wrestling this guy. We're in the third, we're in the third period, which is the final period of the match. Hardest thing you'll ever do in your life is wrestle three periods and I had already been into overtime at least once in this tournament and uh, I'm actually here's the kicker I'm actually winning three to two 
But every time I look at the Coca-Cola scoreboard, I, I get it reversed because the anklet thing. So I think I'm losing two to three. And we go out of bounds, and in, in order to get my wind back and get my strength back, I kind of slowly crawled back to the center of the mat. And when I did, I'd already been called once for stalling, and the ref blew his whistle again and said, one point, red. And when I looked at the board and I saw, I thought it should go four to two, but it went three, three. Y'all, there was 19 seconds or so left in this match. I had won. I had won the whole thing, but because I didn't know the score, I lost. Matter of fact, we went into overtime I was so devastated emotionally. He pinned me in 10 seconds. It was like I had no will to fight. I just was just destroyed. It's like I missed it by that much. And that is the story here with this wealthy young ruler. He's missing it. He doesn't understand how to keep how the score is being kept. And Jesus is trying to tell him the score's kept different than what you think. It's your home and away is all messed up. So, for a little humor, the, uh, the old get smart, but look at where this ball is and where she's going to bump at. <laughs> I mean, that's about like our little wealthy young ruler and how far he's missing it. Because he really is missing it significantly, about like this young lady. The, uh, <clears throat> there's another place in the uh, scriptures where the prophet Jeremiah in the second chapter in the 13th verse he says my people have committed two evils they've forsaken me the fountain of living water and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves we don't use that word a lot cisterns would be something that would catch water so that they would have water to drink. Um, broken cisterns. It says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what have they done? They've forsaken God. Now he's talking about his people, the select people that God had called to himself. They've forsaken him, and they built their own way to supply water. And he says, he is the living water. They built their own water. He's the living water. So in all uh, embarrassment and transparency, one of the things I did to survive, you know, we all have to survive. In high school, in the roaring 20s, when I played, the, uh, the coaches did not believe in giving you water, Gatorade, anything like that. It was a mental toughness thing. And so we would go through August two-a-days, full pads, no water. Every now and then, if it was like 132 degrees, they'd give you a block of ice to suck on. And they would only let you suck on it for about 30 seconds. Put your ice down, get back over here. And that was the way it was, you know. And so... You learn to survive. Have you ever been physically really, really thirsty? 
I mean, a lot of us probably never have. But if you've ever been really, really thirsty, you might can understand what, what I'm about to tell you. I, I'm a sweater. I'm not sweating that bad now, uh, but I am a sweater. I mean, I've always been a sweater. It's not like I'm proud of it, but, uh, but I, I do. I, if I'm exercising, I'm sweating like a beast, and I'm gross. But what I learned from that, you got you to take your weaknesses and use them like strengths, you see, is I would fill my jersey up with sweat. And it would be middle of August, no water to be found. I know we're not getting any water. Yeah, you know where I'm going. Some of you got your face on already. I literally would stand over there, put my jersey in my mouth, and go. <laughs> you could almost see water coming out of the jersey. And man, my brothers be falling out, dehydration, all around me. And I'm like, I'm good, man. How you stay so fresh? It's like, that's got salt. It's got all the nutrients. I mean, everything. I was feeling right. Well, what, what if my old school coach one day says, you know what, guys? <coughs> I'm, I'm installing a fountain over here. Anytime you want during practice, it's going to be this flowing fountain of Gatorade. Anytime you want. You just go over there and get you some. You don't even have to ask. Just take your helmet. That's the other thing. Couldn't take our helmets off. It's like, you, you just take your helmet off and you go over there in that fountain and you just splash around. <laughs> ha! Woo! Gatorade! What if he did that? But my, while my friends are over there in the Gatorade, I'm sitting over here. What would they be thinking? You're nuts. Why would you suck on an old sweaty jersey when there's Gatorade flowing endlessly over here? You see, what our Lord is saying is spiritually, before we're a Christian, and I believe he's also saying after we're a Christian, we sit over here, spiritually speaking, and we're sucking on an old sweaty jersey. And God is saying, I am the spring of living water. Come to me and have life. But we don't do it. Why don't we do it? Why don't we go get in the fountain? It doesn't make any sense to sit over here and suck on an old sweaty jersey when there's a fountain of flowing Gatorade over there. It makes no sense. I believe it's because there's an evil one for one. And I believe that because of the fall in Genesis 3, our fellowship and our relationship with God was broken and distorted. And though we're supposed to be image bearers of the God of the universe, we are now broken image bearers. And what we do with our, our, our spiritual sweaty jerseys are here they are. These are the most common ones that I see. 
I'm going to get success. Success is going to make me happy. Success is going to, going to bring me the things I want in this life. Or it's approval. I will be so loved and so liked by all around me that I'll be happy. Or maybe for some of us, it's power. I'm going to be powerful. I'll be looked up to. I will be respected. I'm going to get power. And when I get power, I'll have happiness. I'll, I'll, enter, I'll have inner peace. Or maybe it's comfort. You're just going to live your life to be comfortable. And you're going to make decisions not to be uncomfortable. And those are the places you're going to go. And those are the things you're going to look for to, to find happiness, to find this spring of living water. You're going to look to yourself for success, for approval, for comfort, for power. And then the question is, why would you do that? Why do we do that? Because I did that. I did that really. I thought I, I really was a climber in life. I got involved with this, uh, you know, I, one high school quarterback, uh, captain of my wrestling team, came to college, played ball. Um, then I switched it. I became a Christian, you see. And I switched my climbing over to the CO world. And I climbed up the CO ladder till I was at the top. And when I got to the top, <clears throat> something happened. See, I, I was sucking on a sweaty jersey spiritually of success and approval and power. But then something happened. The Lord put me in a situation where I couldn't win. I was either going to get fired by my boss or everybody was going to think I was a moron. It was going to have to be one or the other. And I think that internally, genetically, there's some, probably some things in me that would, would allow this to happen more naturally than for some of you. But I had an anxiety attack when I was 33 years old that rocked my world. I couldn't control my own body. And it was, it was eating me up. And... I ended up having to take medication, and I thought, I'm so weak. I'm not a man. Men don't have to take medication for anxiety attacks. Matter of fact, when the doctor told me it was anxiety, I said, no, it's a heart attack. Because I ain't having anxiety. That's for girls. I know that sounds terrible, ladies. I, got, I had an uber macho problem. Probably still do. Um, but it, I just couldn't handle I couldn't handle that. But you know what I learned through some counseling and some wrestling with the Lord is I couldn't handle at an identity, worth, value place in my life that I wasn't going to be successful, that I wasn't going to be approved of. You see, I think underneath success, approval, comfort, and power, underneath that, is something down here even more. And you know what it is, guys? And it's my problem and it's your problem. From the fall, distorted image bearers, you want to know you're valuable. You want to know there's worth to you. You want significance at a, at a base soul level we all desire that. 
You raise a child or let a child be raised that's not loved and see how destroying and detrimental that is to them. There is this deep yearning soul need. So, why do we suck on a spiritual jersey? Because we all have that need. And we somehow think the jersey of success, approval, comfort, or power is going to deliver what we need when really what we need is the living water of Jesus Christ. Right here. In this fountain is where you'll find it. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Unfortunately, a lot of people spend their whole life looking for it, and you can't find it. This uh, is an illustration that really gets to this idea that the rich young ruler is missing, what he's missing. So the left, on the left, it represents God and heaven, and it's white and pristine, and these small three circles or people's lives. So let's say the worst person we know, maybe Hitler. So we're going to shade in, based on how bad he is, we're going to shade it in. And then the nicest person, or the best person we know, maybe, maybe Mother Teresa. So you can barely see a difference there. And then this next one is you. So however you would shade it in, but I'm going to shade me in like this. Can I take any of these and put them over here without messing up the white, the, the pristine white, I can't do it. So I take Mother Teresa, I take me, all of us mess it up. That would be like taking a sinner, taking this rich young man that comes to Jesus and says, how do I inherit eternal life? Your sin, and all of us have it, your less than perfection can't be put over here with God who is perfect. So God came up, God came up with another way. The other way is Jesus Christ. I used to wonder, you know, I don't, get, I don't get the whole, I didn't so much grow up in the church and it was like, I don't get the whole why he had to die for us. What's all that about? And it basically the scriptures say without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So God set up a system where there had to be a sacrifice and it had to be a perfect one. The only perfect person to ever live was Jesus. His perfect death died for us in our place. The other thing that I didn't get was why did he have to live? Why why couldn't he just come and die? But he had to live a perfect life, a life you couldn't live so that it could be given to you in your place. It's called imputed righteousness. His life is imputed to us like this. Now we're covered And we can go to heaven. But you see, you can't experience that unless you do what the Bible says in terms of what it means to become a believer. One is you repent and place faith in Christ. Repentance is simply saying, I want to go not my way, but your way, Lord. And then this word faith or belief has gotten lost it's really the word trust. And there's a, uh, <clears throat> a man by Charles Blondin in 1853. He said he was going to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And he went out there and he did it. And then he went out there and he did it with a wheelbarrow. And then he went out there and he fried an egg and he ate the egg. 
And then he hollered down to the people below, thousands of people, does anybody trust me? Does anybody believe that I could, you could get on my back and I could carry you across? And everybody, lots of people, because they'd seen him do all these things, said, sure, we, we believe. But nobody would get on his back. Is that, Amer- is that American Christianity? Sure, we believe. Well, even the demons in hell believe. We believe. But you know what? Harry Concord was Charles Blondin's manager. And he said, Charles, I'll get on your back. So there's a picture of the two going across the Niagara Falls tightrope. Harry's on his back. And they walk across. He trusted. The rest believed. There's a big difference. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted him to do that for you? That is a different ball game. So, I want to show you this. This is a, it's actually something that I wrote one morning as I was contemplating why I continue, not you, but why I continue to suck on sweaty jerseys spiritually. And this is what I wrote. When you look at narcissism, because there is a bit of it there, through the vulnerability lens, you see the shame-based fear of being ordinary. The soul of the individual cannot live with the idea of not being great. The identity can't handle the doldrum of just being another guy. It is the fear of never feeling extraordinary enough to be noticed, respected, lovable, and belonging. People are wrestling with the foundational truth of am I enough? This leads to living out of our assignments and not our essence, doing and not being. We must accomplish more to feel good about our value and worth. However, we become the dog chasing his tail because how much is enough? Does catching our tails even matter? Will it deliver this soothing sensation to a desperate soul, aching for worth and value? Not hardly. I am only as good as the number of likes I get on Facebook or Instagram is the challenge for the next generation. Same song, different verse. Every time I visit, because my daughter's there now, every time I visit Washington, D.C., I feel minuscule in comparison to the founding fathers and men like Abraham Lincoln. I struggle to let go of my desire to be great and receive honor and glory. How many buildings and bridges are named after people with money in their attempt to leave a lasting legacy of greatness? To be ordinary and forgotten makes the soul cringe with grief and disappointment. But many, if not most, cannot and do not recognize the internal grappling taking place until they have wrecked havoc on their lives and those around them. It is the CEO who can't simply stop working, the pastor who ignores his family's needs for his time so he can build his ministry empire and leave his legacy. Oh, to embrace at the soul level this idea of redefining greatness. This is my definition. To be great is to do small things with great love. See, we can all do that. Father, lead me in us to this place. Help me live in a redefined understanding greatness. Free me to be no one in regards to position and titles 
and unleashed to be all you would have me be with deep abiding joy. This is, this is what I'm learning, I think, in, my, in the years now. Is that in the beginning, before I was a believer and even probably right after I became a Christian, I wanted to take glory from God. Because I want glory. My soul can't handle it. Not just being ordinary. I'm a climber. I can't handle it. But then you mature, hopefully. And you get to a better place where you do it glory for God. Not from God, but for God. But then I think as we age and as we really begin to see ourselves getting older, we just take glory in God. And the glory in God, I think, it's a, it's a sweet place to be. It's a, free, it's a free place to be. You see, when it's glory in God, when you're truly humble, you're carefree. You got nothing to prove and nothing to lose. It's just free. And that's a gospel that you want to take to people because you experience a freedom at a soul place that's just unbelievable. And I want to tell people about that God. I don't want to tell people about the God who you got to obey all these laws and rules. You couldn't get me to share that with anybody. But to be free at a soul level is to be free indeed. So I'll finish with this. It's 1987. I've finished my first year at football at West Georgia. I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian. I had several friends that went to different schools and <clears throat> uh, played at different places. And we all said, because we all had football season, that when the season was over, we were going to meet back in our hometown and have the party of all parties. And we had planned it for months during the season. And I had looked forward to it for months. And so we found out that one of our friends, Perry, his parents were going to be out of town. So we had a house, which just, you know, you can't really have a great party without a good house. And so uh, we had the house set up. And when I got home that Friday, the guys had already been, you know, with their fake IDs and bought a keg. Not, we, we weren't playing. We weren't going, like, go get a few beers. It was like, how many kegs do you got? And uh, so we got the keg, and they tapped the keg. And when they were tapping the keg, I realized it was Budweiser. That's a problem. My father worked 35 years for Miller Lite. That put food on our table. I couldn't drink any Budweiser, and I knew that. So I went and bought my Miller Lights, like a good, respectable son would. <laughs> and uh, I stuck all my Miller Lights in the fridge, made sure I had about 12. You know, it's going to be a good night. And uh, the party was rocking, just like we talked about. We went down into Atlanta, had our fake IDs, met the girls before we even got in the bar, and didn't have to pay cover charge. I mean, that's always a bonus. Um, cover charges are steep. So we get the girls, we go back to Perry's, the party, the beer's flowing, everybody's dancing, just a great party scene, you know. And I walked into the kitchen, and I got my Miller Lite out, 
I pop it off and I walk out onto the back porch and I hadn't been to Perry's house before. <clears throat> the lights are on behind me and in front of me, I'm on the back porch. I'm seeing just woods and darkness and that's all I can really see. And I'm standing there and the Lord had been at work in my heart. These guys with CO had been sharing Christ with me and I had been getting exposed to the gospel to the place that some would say the hound of heaven had just kind of made me miserable inside. And I stood there and I finished this Miller Lite and I took the Miller Lite and not knowing it was a screened-in porch, <laughs> I threw it about as hard as I could into this screen. And when it hit the screen, it came back, but I got cat-like reflexes. Didn't, get, didn't hit me, but it would have taken my nose out smashed the glass behind me. My friend, his parents' house, Perry, he comes outside. What's wrong with you? And I said, Perry, if this is all there is to life, it's not going to be enough. He slapped me on the back, said, ah, you just need another beer. Turned around, he went in the house. I stood out there and wept. I think that's the night the Lord brought me to himself. Everything began to change. For the better. I started getting that salty sweat taste out of my mouth from that jersey. Started tasting a little bit of that Gatorade over there. And I realized this is a living stream. I want this for the rest of my days. This is what I want. I don't want this. I don't want to have to live in the success, approval, power, comfort. I got to prove myself. No, no. I'm free. I'm really free. And I want you to be free. Really free. At a soul level. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel that it sets us free and it keeps setting us free and it keeps setting us free and it keeps setting us free. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.